Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're starting a brand new series, as Kristen mentioned, and I have been um, thinking about this and chewing on this and mulling over this for several, several weeks now, and I'm super excited to be able to bring this to you. Here's why. I don't know if you've noticed this, but God is at work and God is moving uh, in, in this place and in this house and in this church and among you. And just this year, since January, we have baptized 41 people in Sunday morning service. I was like, man, it's so crazy. God is doing it. My heart as a pastor for this congregation really wants to make sure that because so many are taking those initial steps and those first steps, you know, becoming a Christian and connecting in church and connecting with other believers, that I do my absolute best to make sure that I leverage all of what Scripture has for us to be able to walk and connect and to grow as Christians together. And that's what I'm doing today as we start this new series. We're we're a new creation in Christ, and I want to make sure that you know what that looks like. Almost like a lighthouse off the shore, something to point at, something to aim to as you continue to navigate. And Ephesians, we're going to be studying in Ephesians for the next several weeks And Ephesians is just that. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a group of believers to help explain their new identities in Christ and how to walk in that new relationship. And I'm excited to be able to see that, not just in that relationship with Jesus, but their relationship with each other. And even for those of us that have been born again for some time now, I think there's some truth in Ephesians that will make sure that we're still pointed in the right direction. How many of you value the Word of God? You know, it's, it's a challenge sometimes because you, 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 you read scripture. I know many of us grew up in, in a religion or in a denomination or maybe attended a church where the Bible was something that, that somebody just read to you. It was never something that you read for yourself. And can I just encourage you, if you grew up that way where somebody was reading the Bible to you and you never opened it for yourself, can I just encourage you to go read it for yourself? It's actually one of the reasons why I'm steering us just a little differently through Ephesians. We're going to be going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians, not not just, hey, here's a thought, let's talk about it for a while. And here's why. It can be very easy for me when I read scripture sometimes to think that I'm the center of the story. That everything that's happening is something that's going on for me. And Paul, in in this series, goes through great lengths in this letter to tell the church and these new believers, and to help them understand that they don't just have a new identity for themselves, they've been given a new identity, but that new identity we'll see today is only fully realized when we understand I'm part of something bigger than myself, right? Ephesians tells us, and that's the name of our series that we're walking into, is that I don't just have a brand new me, I have a brand new we, And I want us to think about our context, our relationship with Jesus, and how it pertains to our relationship with others. So you're going to see, I'm going to make a big deal about all of the opportunities we have to see something bigger than just what God is doing in my own life, but see something that God is doing in the lives of our church. I've often said it this way when talking to people who are getting plugged in for the first time. I will say it this way. God has a plan for you and wants you to be here doing something. 
right? I love that you're here and you're sitting down, but I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to put your hands to something that's going on. I've said it this way. Our Savior's church is not the church that God wants it to be until the people that he has put here are doing the things that that he wants them to do. So let me say it this way. I'm excited you're here. We've been waiting for you. God has something in store for us, and I want to make sure we understand that it's not just something that's happening in us, it's something that's happening through us and around us and with us. You're going to see all throughout this letter, especially chapter one that we're going into today, this letter is full of language like us and language like we and our and I love this. My, my family's pretty large. We have five children. And I, I love that there are different families of different sizes, families that have one child, child family that have five. Um, I, I know a family in our church that has nine kids. And I'm just telling you, it's amazing to see what God does in a family. But one of the things I've noticed in my family, having five children, none of my children think that the world revolves around them. I love that. They know at any given time, mom and dad's attention is focused on one of the brothers and one of the siblings and one, you know, one one of the sisters. And I think when we read scripture with that way, understanding that what God has for us isn't just for us, something different starts to happen. Selfishness doesn't settle into a family with multiple kids. They all realize that. Well, guess what? You're a family with multiple kids, and I think there's a great way to show that in this passage. So we're going to take this series, we're going to take Ephesians, and really go verse by verse. It's a little different way of approaching the message, but we're going to go line by line, and I want to encourage you to read for yourself. Just two times this week, I had conversations, once with a gentleman and once with a lady, and my, my question to him, he was just struggling, having a hard time. I mean, you had those moments right, where, where things are just kind of like, man, you know, just having a hard day. And I asked him, I said, are you in the word? Are you in the word? I had a conversation with a lady and she, she said, Pastor, I'm just, I'm just struggling. I said, tell me what your devotional life is like. Are you reading the Bible? And she said, if I'm honest, Pastor, I'm, I mainly just read devotions, devotionals, where, where somebody has taken a verse or two of scripture and then written some things to help explain it. That's really what I do. And I said, can I just encourage you to read this book? to read these words. This word washes us. Even when you don't understand what it's saying, something is happening spiritually on the inside of you. Read this book. And I hope, one of my, one of my underlying hopes of this message is we go back through Ephesians, verse by verse, is that God would instill in you a passion to just read scripture line by line and watch what it does through your life. A little bit of background on, on Ephesians. Ephesians is actually a letter uh, named after a place. It is a place called Ephesus. It was in what we'd call, what we'd consider modern day Turkey. And it was a place that Paul visited on one of his missionary journeys. And as a result of his ministry there, some people were born again and they started a church. And Paul continued to travel around, and though he desired to go back and visit Ephesus again and these new believers that were happening, things were continuing to grow, Paul gets arrested, and while he's arrested and unable to visit them in person, he decides to write a letter. And so he writes this letter to a bunch of people, some that he has met and some that he hasn't met, but he wrote it to the believers there in Ephesus. And I think that's neat that he doesn't know everyone personally. The work has grown, but he knows this. There are new Christians, and they need some instruction on how to walk this Christianity thing out. And that's where I'm at today, this morning, 
talking in chapter one of Ephesians, and here's our big theme for today. You ready? God has a plan, has had a plan all along for restoring people to himself. Say that with me. He has a plan. And it hasn't changed. And one of the greatest revelations that a Christian can have is to understand that all along, God has had a plan and that my place in that plan is not a result of my doing, but it's a result of his. Say this with me. This plan isn't just for me. It's for us. It's for us. Here's our title today, part one of a brand new we. Same old plan, brand new identity. Same old plan, brand new identity. Let's start right there in verse chapter one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, look at this, by the will of God, he chose me. I didn't choose him. This was his idea. I'm part of his plan. By the will of God. To the saints or to believers who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He says, grace to you and peace from God. Pastor Jacob told us about grace a couple weeks ago, didn't he? Grace, God's riches at Christ's Expense. In other words, grace is how it's working in your life, and peace is how you can feel while it's working in your life. Grace and peace to you, he says, um, from, from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Which, which spiritual blessings is he including in this passage? Every single one of them in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that's a long time ago, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Just in this opening remarks, here's what we understand. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And he didn't just choose you yesterday after you finally decided to get your stuff together and show up in church on Sunday. He chose you before the foundation of the world and his plan for you will result in you being holy and blameless before him. So let me ask you, do you feel holy and blameless before him? If the answer to that is no, then guess what? His plan is still working in you. His plan is still working in you. Let's keep going. In love, verse five, he predestined us. That's a big theological word. It basically means this. He decided beforehand as part of his plan for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved or in Jesus. Let's look at that word, that phrase, adoption to himself as sons. And here's the first thing I want you to understand, the first point I have for those of you that are taking notes today. Adoption to himself as sons. This brand new identity includes a new family. Your brand new identity includes a new family. First Peter 2.10 tells us that once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Psalm 68.6, God places the lonely in families. Many of you know the work that we do with the local Boys and Girls Club and the opportunity that we have every month to go in and our kids team does a full church service. Just what your kids are experiencing right now while we're here in big church, they call it. Um, we bring that same service to the girls, the boys and girls, the boys and girls at the Boys and Girls Club. And we, we've been to develop relationship with these, with these kids. And one week, particularly, we brought them a bunch of those red prayer cards that are in the pew back 
in front of you. And those, those red prayer cards are an opportunity that we have to come together and pray for the needs that are in our congregation. And so we took those prayer cards to the Boys and Girls Club and encouraged those students as they were participating to let us know some prayer requests that they may have so that we could be praying for them. And we've been doing that on Monday nights in Growing in Prayer. And there was a card specifically that we got from a young, name, named, a young man named Camden that I want to share with you. We have that card. I can put it up on the screen. You may not be able to read it from where you are, but here's what it says. Please pray for a prayer for a better future. God help me. This is a young boy. God help me be a better person and give me a better life. And God make it to where I can get adopted by a young, creative, active family. God, I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can't tell me that God hasn't put it on the heart of every single person here to be a part of a family to be a part of a family. And the first thing that God does as a new creation, as a new believer, right off the bat is he wants you to know this, with that brand new identity comes a brand new family. Can y'all help me pray for Camden? I think there is a young, creative, active family out there that's just waiting for a young, creative, active young man to adopt him as a son into their family and that there will be a day where he looks at that mother and father as if that's the only mother and father he's ever had because he's been adopted into that family. That's what we're seeing here. The son's language is important. If I'm a son and you're a son, then guess what that means? We brothers. We brothers. I was talking to two of the Mahoney brothers earlier today, and they said, hey, good morning, brother. I said, well, hold up. Y'all can say that in church, but do y'all say that outside of church, too? We're, we're, We're brothers. We're brothers and sisters in the same family. And can I tell you, it's a big problem when children in the same family don't get along. That's a problem. As a father of my own children, nothing grieves my heart more than when my children can't get along can't get along. Why? Because you're the same. We teach our kids this. We, we, we tell them that your brother and your sister is your first friends. And here's what that means in the Norman household. If you can't get along with your brother and with your sister, then you won't have any other friends. And you're going to get along with them. And the way you get along with them shows me if you can handle yourself with other people, teammates and things like that outside of this. Why? Because your brother, your sister, there's a relationship there. You're a part of a family. God wants to use this relationship to demonstrate something. And if you can't handle your first friends, you don't need any other friends. And I think there's a parallel there that we see in Scripture. God's saying, hey, you are a new creation, but I'm putting you in a brand new family, and you've got some brothers and some sisters that you need to learn how to get along with first before you try to do anything outside of this relationship here. Y'all okay? Y'all with me on this? This brand new identity includes a new family. Let's let's move on. Look at the we's and the us's that we're about to see in these next few verses. Verse 7. Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. This super abundant grace is already powerfully working. Remember, I told you it was his grace that was working in us. It's not you working. I don't want to get ahead of myself for next week. But listen, it's his grace working in us, releasing within us 
all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. Verse 9, and through the revelation of the anointed one, he unveiled his secret desires to us, the hidden mystery of his long-range plan, which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. I told you it was the same old plan. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax. Well, when is that climax, Pastor Don? It's when God makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. It's that same old plan to bring us to a brand new identity. Y'all seeing this? This is Paul. He's in prison writing a letter to a bunch of believers saying, I need you to get this if you want to walk in the things that God has for you. I need you to understand. It's the same old plan that God has had in place for you from before the foundation of time, and you're going to walk in it, but you're not going to walk in it alone. You're going to walk in it with an idea that there are other people around you. Verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, not only was it his idea and part of his plan, he did all the work for us. And if that wasn't enough, he has now given us an inheritance. Here's point number two today. This brand new identity includes a new inheritance. A brand new inheritance. The Passion Translation, I love this, says it this way. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny. That we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. Well, what's an inheritance, Pastor Don? In earthly terms, we, think, we tend to think about an inheritance as, as some sort of wealth that someone has that we're entitled to receive when they die. There was a, a joke going around a while back. There was people, these two men were sitting at a funeral of a very wealthy individual and the funeral went on and on and on and they were telling the stories of all the things that this guy had accomplished in his life and all the possessions that he had and all of these things that were there and one of them looked over to the man beside him. He says, man, how much do you think he left behind? The wise person next to him looked over and said, all of it. All of it. He left all of it behind. Let's look back at Ephesians 1.7 and we see this. Let me ask you this question. Who is, who's died? Christ has died for us. And what did he have? What did Christ have? Talking about a, a relationship. We're talking about a relationship we have with him, an inheritance. What did Christ have? He had a holy and a righteous and blameless standing before God. And if we received an inheritance and all that Christ had when Christ died now belongs to us, what do you and I have? All of it. All of it. Every richness, every, all the richness according to the Lord that was in Christ Jesus is now available to us. Ephesians 1 7 says this Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures. Here's the treasures. Number one, redemption by his blood. Number two, the total cancellation of our sins. We've been bought from the slavery of sin and set free from its power over us. Look at this. All because of the cascading riches of what? Not our efforts. Not how well we can do this. Not how good of a day we're having, how great of a week we're having, how great of a year we're having. All of this inheritance is brought to us with this new identity as a result of the cascading riches of his 
grace, this brand new identity includes a new inheritance. Not only have I been given a brand new family, but in that family, I have a brand new inheritance. How many of you at one point in time in your childhood maybe thought, man, maybe there's a long lost relative somewhere that I don't know about, that I'm going to get a phone call from somebody one day and say they passed away and they, they passed everything on to you. I got news for you. We have a long lost relative. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's died and everything that he had is available to you as a result of what he's done. Some of you will think that's good news. Absolutely. Ephesians 1, 12 through 13. Let's keep going. God's purpose was that we who were Jews, who were the first to long for the messianic hope, would be the first to believe in the anointed one and bring great praise and glory to God. And because of him, when you who are not Jews heard the revelation of truth, you believed in the wonderful news of salvation. Look at this. Now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. I love one translation says this. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance until we take possession of it. He's not only given you a new family. He's not only given you an inheritance. Look at this. This brand new identity, number three, includes a new guarantee. A new guarantee. Verse 14. He is given to us like an engagement ring is given to a bride as the first installment of what's coming. I remember the day I gave a ring to Kayla. I did just what Beyonce said. I liked it, and I put a ring on it. (laughs) It's a promise. It's it's a commitment. Some of you will get that later. Legally, you're not committed to me yet, but I want you to know this. I'm doing this to show you how serious I am about the future that I have planned for you. God doesn't say, you're going to spend eternity with me in heaven. But until you get there, until you get the fullness of everything, I'm going to give you the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Something that can come upon you like an engagement ring. That not only you can look at, but others can look at the Holy Spirit in you and say, they're promised to somebody. They're promised to somebody. But God's plan is even better than a ring. He gives us the Holy Spirit, a guide a counselor, a helper to make sure that we make it to the end. But how many of you know a guarantee is only as good as the person who's giving it? Kayla and I bought a house a few years ago and when we went through all the inspection process and, and, and all the, all the uh, pre-sale processes, the, the, the roof had just been replaced a few years earlier. Thinking finally, you know, roofs usually last 15, 20, 25 years. We should be good to go on this roof. We bought the house. The roof looked great. We started having problems. No problem. The roof is covered by a guarantee. Let me just call the roofing company that did it. Had all the paperwork, had all the invoices, everything that was there. Even the check number of the check that the previous owner wrote for the invoice. And guess what I found out? That company was no longer in existence. Hmm. But I had a warranty. I had a guarantee. Workmanship covered. But that warranty was only as good as the company that was providing it. How many of you are grateful that this guarantee that we have doesn't come from some company that's going to be out of existence in a few years? It comes from the very creator of heaven and earth. This Holy Spirit is our guarantee that in Christ, walking with him, you are guaranteed to obtain everything that God has for you. 
Because he's got a long-range plan that he put together before the foundation of the earth. That not only would you have a brand new identity, but you'd have a brand new family. And you'd have a brand new inheritance. And not only would you have a brand new inheritance, you would have a brand new guarantee that that inheritance is going to be good until you receive it. Are y'all okay going verse by verse through Ephesians? Y'all, y'all appreciating this? Verse 14 continued. He, meaning the Holy Spirit, is our hope promise, our guarantee of a future inheritance which seals us until we have all of redemption's promises and experience complete freedom, all for the supreme glory and honor of God. He's given us a guarantee that you'll receive all that he's promised. Ephesians 15, moving on. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Paul writes, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Look at this big phrase coming up. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I love that phrase. I tell you, there's a way to see in the physical, and there's another way to see in the spirit. You didn't know you had a pair of eyes on your heart, but Paul's telling us there's something else going on here in this new creation, this brand new identity. Number four, those of you who are taking notes, this brand new identity includes a brand new vision, a brand new vision, a new way of seeing Jesus refers to this in John chapter 3. He's having a conversation with Nicodemus, a religious leader. In verse 3, he says, Jesus Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, what? See the kingdom of heaven. Verse 5, two verses later, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Of God. Here's what he's saying that Paul's referencing. There's a way that we see in the physical and a way that we see in the spirit. When we're born again, we become spiritually alive and we begin to see the world through brand new eyes. That's no longer a black man or a white man. I see them as my brother. It's, it's a new vision. It's a new way of looking at this. That's no longer someone who's struggling in life as a result of a bad decision that they made, and they're just having to bear the consequences of, of that bad decision. No, that's somebody that needs my help. Yeah. I see people differently as a result, not just my brand new identity, but the brand new vision that came with this. I can see things differently. I no longer have nothing in common with those people. My new vision allows me to see that we have a whole lot more in common than I previously thought. There's a trick here. I need you to understand. You got to be careful. This brand new vision doesn't do away with your old way of seeing the world. I wear contact lenses and sometimes I'll leave the house and not have my contacts in. And I don't notice it in the bathroom and I don't notice it in the living room and I don't notice it when I'm getting into my truck. But when I pull out of the driveway and I look down the road, that's when I realize, doggone it, I just forgot my contacts. Why? Because I'm seeing things differently than I know I'm supposed to. I'm, I'm seeing things differently. And here's what you got to understand. At any point in time, we can choose to be looking through our physical eyes or we can choose to be looking through our spiritual eyes in order to live. Paul's saying and telling us this because of our new identity, we have an enlightened way of looking at things. So you may be driving down the road and get aggravated with somebody who does something 
And you got two ways of looking at that. You can look at that through the physical eyes or you can look at that through the spiritual eyes and say, no, I'm a new creation. I've been given a new identity. I no longer see things the way I used to see them. Those people that I used to not be able to get along with, guess what? I can see something different in them that I haven't seen before. Pastor Sean had a picture he showed me earlier of a group of men that got together on Thursday night just to hang out and have fellowship. There's no good reason apart from God's good grace that those men should be in that room together worshiping God and loving on each other the way that they're doing. They've been given a new identity and a new way of seeing things and a new vision that's with me. Y'all following? You tracking where I'm going? Make sure you got your contacts in before you leave the house. It's very discouraging having to turn all the way back around to go get them. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He's about to tell us what this new vision allows us to see. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Here's what he's saying. If you don't see hope, you're using the wrong eyes. If you don't see what he's called you to do, you're using the wrong eyes. If you don't feel rich and that richness doesn't want, make you want to share, you're using the wrong eyes. If you keep falling into the same sin and the same addictions and the same traps over and over again, I got news for you, church, you're using the wrong eyes. His plan for this new identity he's given you, according to Paul here, is to give us a new vision, a new way of looking at things. And I want you to see the power that he's given you to walk out of that grave. A new vision. This brand new identity includes a brand new vision. We're getting near the end now. We're at verse 20. And here's what it says. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. That's a place of authority. In the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and, dom- and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Aren't you grateful that Jesus has been given a name above every other name? We sang that earlier today. What a beautiful name. Scripture tells us the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And this long-range plan that God has had for you from the beginning includes a brand new vision and a brand new authority. Look at this. Two verses left in the chapter. Verse 22. And he has put all things under his feet. All things under his feet. That addiction that struggling, that shortcoming, that thing that you're trying to get over, that's already been subverted and submitted underneath the authority of Jesus Christ. And you have that new inheritance in him. It's under his feet. It says, and he has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercised throughout the church, which, talking about the church, is his body, the fullness of him who fills All in all, look at this, for in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. There's a fullness of Jesus that you see in his body. Number five, this brand new identity includes a brand new measurement. A brand new measurement. You say, 
Pastor Don, what are you talking about? Isaac, you can come help me. What do you mean a brand new measurement? Measuring what? Here's my question to you. How much of Jesus do you know? How much of Jesus do you know? The latest statistics is that there are 7.9 billion people on the planet. That's a lot of people. That's a whole lot of people. 7.9 billion. Here's what scripture says. Every single one of those people are made in the image of God. So you know what that tells me? The more of you I get to know, the more of him I get to see. He's got a body. And that body is made up of us. I am not the body of Christ in and of myself. You and I together, this new identity that he's given me includes a brand new measurement. This passage tells me that the fullness of Jesus lives within the church, the body, the group of believers, the we, the us, the ours. And now that you're in Christ, you've been given a new way of measuring how much of his fullness you can have in your life. Here it is. How connected are you to his body? How connected are you to the rest of us? See, it's not me. It's we. You were never meant to do Christianity alone. Yes, you have a new identity. You're a brand new creation in Christ. The old has gone. The new has come. But look at me, church. The fullness of who Christ is in me will be best seen in the context of the body that he's placed me in. Many of you know Dr. John Mahoney. He's a dentist, and you're going to know he's a Christian when you visit him, when you visit his practice, just just talking to him. You're going to know he's a follower of Christ, but you want to see the fullness of Christ in Dr. John Mahoney? Get him in a group of men. Get him in a group of men. Catch him here on Sunday morning, lifting his hands and worshiping. You're going to see the fullness of Christ in that man. Get he and Jill leading a small group of young adults. That's when you see the fullness of Christ in him. No mistaking he's a Christian, but you don't see the fullness until he's in the body, contributing, being a part of what's going on. Many of you know Nathan Menard. Nathan has got a contagious smile. He really does. And there is no doubt in my mind that he shares Jesus and his love for God as he serves uh, homeowners with his trade. But can I tell you when you're going to see the fullness? of Christ in Nathan when he's on stage worshiping when he's playing those drums one of my favorite things to do in worship is just watch Nathan play I don't know how somebody can hit those drums the way he hits them with his hands in the air worshiping I haven't figured it out yet but he's a musician and God has gifted him And you're going to know he's a Christian when you come up next to him, when you encounter him at his job and and all throughout the week. But you're going to see the fullness of Christ in him when he's on stage, when he's worshiping, when he's in the body. And that's what I think Paul is trying to tell us. He hasn't just given us a brand new me. He's given us a brand new we. And some of you are just flat out amazed at how quickly God has brought you from your past to your present. And can I just tell you, there is so much more. There is so much more. And if you could just let for a second 
your pastor convince you that God hasn't just given you a new creation, a new identity, a new family, a new inheritance, a new guarantee, a new vision, a new measurement. He's given you a new we to be a part of. You can get to heaven without others, but I promise you will not feel and experience the fullness of him on earth without each other. Why do I want you in groups? Why do I want you serving on teams? Because the church is missing out on the fullness of Christ in you. And there is something in there that is dormant, just waiting for God to bring about, to flourish, to blossom. Jesus didn't come and die for a brand new me. He came for a brand new we. I want to invite you today to bow your heads, close your eyes, just listen to my voice. Let the Holy Spirit search your heart. God said a lot today, and I've used some words that may be new to you, a new identity, a new inheritance, a new guarantee, a new vision, a new measurement. And you may say, Pastor Don, I want that. I want that for my life. But I also said, as I was reading the words of Paul in Ephesians, I also said words like, in Christ. I said, born again. Part of a body. Each of us has a physical nature that comes to life at conception and breathes our first breath when we are born of our mother's womb. And from the moment we are physically born, we have a physical appetite. It's a hunger. You know somebody is physically alive when they have a physical appetite. And there'll come a day when our bodies cease to live. That appetite will be gone and we'll physically die. But in the same way, each of us also has a spiritual nature that is the result of sin and the fall of Adam and Eve. And from the very beginning, we are spiritually dead. If you're spiritually dead, you have no spiritual appetite. Our spiritual nature is the part of us that will spend eternity in heaven with God and with other believers, or we'll spend eternity in hell apart from God with others who are spiritually dead. Jesus came and died physically so that you and I could live spiritually forever in heaven with God and other believers. That's why he told Nicodemus, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. It's a spiritual birth. Those who have been born again are in Christ. And until that happens, there is no new identity, no new inheritance, no new guarantee, no new eyes to see, and no new fullness of Christ. Salvation is a free gift of God. And it starts with God, a long-range plan. And it starts with him giving you an appetite, a hunger that he gives you. How do I know, Pastor Don, that God's grace has begun to work in my life? I would say it this way. You have an appetite for the things of God. Maybe it's small. Maybe it's just a little. Maybe it's a desire to know him, to grow, to find out more. And when God allows that to happen in your life, there are three things that you're able to do that you've never been able to do before that moment. You may have heard me say it this way. It's as simple as ABC. How do I know that God's working in my life? You can do these things. A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner. 
that your sin has separated you from a righteous and loving God who has a long-range plan for your life to experience the fullness of him. But your choice is your decision to do it your own way has separated you from that relationship. Today, because of that spiritual hunger that God has given you, you may be able to say, you know what, I can admit that I'm a sinner. I've chosen my own way. Be his belief. That spiritual hunger, that appetite inside of you may allow you today to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The very Son of God given to you and I who lived a life that you and I couldn't live to pay a debt that we couldn't pay. You may be able to believe that today. That he died for you. And then see that spiritual hunger, that appetite, God working in you may today be allowed you to see, confess. Confess that he's Lord and Savior. That his way is better than your way. That you're willing to surrender and to submit to his lordship in your life. Can I tell you, as sure as I'm standing here on this stage, if you're here today and you've never asked, you've never prayed to be born again, you don't know that when you die, what face you'll see, would that be the face of Jesus? But I'll tell you this, if you have an appetite for the things of the Spirit, if you can admit, if you can believe, and you can confess, Scripture tells us that God's grace is already working in your heart for you to be born again. And I want to invite you today, this is something that happens only once when God does this in your life. If you're here today and say, Pastor Don, would you pray with me? Would you lead me in a prayer so I can acknowledge what God is doing in my heart? Be born again today. If that's you, I want to invite you to raise your hand. I'm not asking you to come up front. I'm not asking you to embarrass yourself or do anything other than just acknowledge to me who I'm praying with today. Right there in your seat, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. You say, Pastor Don, would you pray with me today to be born again? Raise your hand right now. Go ahead, let me see. Thank you. I see your hand, this one. Thank you, I see your hand, two. Thank you, I see your hands, three. Up in the balcony, thank you, I see your hand, four. I see your hand, five. Six, thank you. You can put your hands down one more time before I pray. I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. You say, Pastor Don, I've got a hunger that I haven't had before. And I want to know today that I'm born again, that I'm in Christ. I don't want you to miss this moment. I can only imagine your heart's beating out of your chest. Is he talking to me? Yes, I am. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Church, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and we're going to pray this all together, indicative of the fact that nobody walks through Christianity alone, but you especially who raised your hand this morning. I want you to repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those who are born again this morning.